Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I am intentionally encouraged when I see people doing business the right way. And for the last 15 years, Damon Burton and his team at SEO National have done just that. Now you might say, Brian, what can they do for me and my business? I'm going to tell you what they can do for you. They can help you understand search engine optimization. There are a lot of players out there in the marketplace, but you want a team of people that are going to be dedicated to working with you and helping you to understand search engine optimization and how you can show up higher on search engines so that you can bring more revenue into your business. Damon and his team are full of integrity, honesty, decency, and trust. And if that's important to you and that encourages you, I would encourage you to give them a call today at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get a free quote and tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Get ready for a dynamite conversation coming up right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And welcome into the Intentional Encourage Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Part two of my conversation with Charles Schultz. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's a coach. And if you want to connect with him, go to theedgeofgreatnessproject.com. Theedgeofgreatnessproject.com. But you don't have to go there yet because you can find him right here, right now on the Intentional Encourage Podcast. Charles, how you doing, man? Brian, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Yes, sir. Hey, we covered a lot of ground in our first part of our topic in our conversation, but but I like to save these these second parts for the story because you know that that's why we do the intentional encourager podcast is because everybody has got a life story where they've overcome some things, and you know, I, I was I was ministering in my church last night, and I told the the younger folks, I said, "Hey, if you haven't gone through some things in life, just buckle up. It's 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 going to happen at some point." So, I wanted to save a lot of room here for you to tell your story, walk through some things in life, and just take me as far back as you want to take me. And man, you know, I'm going to jump in at, at times and just you know, maybe ask another question or two around that, but. Take me, take me back as far as you want to go and just, just tell your story. Yeah, no, let's, uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning where my, uh, my quest for greatness really began. Uh, May 7th, 1989, I was sitting on the floor in my living room watching the uh, NBA playoffs. My Cleveland Cavaliers were taking on the Chicago Bulls. It was, it was game five, and they, were, they had just taken the lead as Craig Elos scored and uh, I'm like yeah we're gonna we're gonna move on to the next level little did I know uh, that they had a guy on Chicago I don't know if you've heard of him his name's Michael Jordan he's kind of good at what he does and he decided to to float for 984 seconds in front of Craig Elo and splash a shot and then jump and fist bump and and that team was loaded <laughs> that Cavs season now they were taking, so good you're taking me back so oh. the first NBA game I went to we went to the Richfield Coliseum in 1988 I was I was going to turn 16 that year, so it was um, it was either yeah it was either 88 or 89. I think I I might have been yeah I was 15. So I went up with with my dad, my cousins, and we watched them play the Knicks. And of course, that that team, that 88 89 team that you're talking about, yeah, Brad Doherty. They had Hot Rod Williams. They Larry had Nance Mark Price. They had Larry Nance. They had just traded for Larry Nance the year yeah. before. Right. They had arguably the best starting Ron Harper. 
I mean, how do yeah. you forget Ron Harper? Ron Harper actually started over Craig Elo. Craig Elo was yeah. like a six man on that team. And, and Hot Rod didn't need, I don't think Hot Rod started either. I think Hot Rod came yeah. off the bench. He was young, I'm pretty sure, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, but, but they had just an unbelievably <laughs> good team. And they had a Hall of Fame coach in Lenny mm-hmm. Wilkins coaching them at the time. And, and man, you know, I was a Cavs fan. You know, I was a Bulls fan, but I was also a Cavs fan because – that team was just so, so talented. And, yeah, I can remember that shot, too. And and, and you're watching the greatest of all time in Michael Jordan. You know, yeah, you kind of undersold that a little bit. But, <laughs> just a little bit. So, when you're watching that game, and, 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 and obviously you can go back to the date. You know, now, 33 years later, you, you're going back, you're watching that game. What are your emotions like that, that day as you're watching it? You're, you're a huge Cavs fan. You're watching it. And you say that's where your quest for greatness began. What, what sparked you about that particular moment in time that, that just kind of sent you on this quest? Well, I was, I was crushed, obviously. Like, you know, I was six. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm freaking in, I'm in tears. My, my parents are like, it's okay. They'll play again next year. And I'm like, no, it's over. This is the end. I can't ever watch basketball. But then I, I started to think about it and I go, what makes Michael Jordan so special? Because up until then, I, again, I'm six. I casually watched basketball. I enjoyed the Cavs because I was growing up in Cuyahoga Falls. But then I started to wonder, what makes this guy so special? What, why? Is he better than everybody else? And I started to really pay attention to what the people that I liked most in sports, why they were different. You know, what made Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey? What made Omar Vizquel the best defensive shortstop at the time? Why was, you know, some of these players that I watched, Jim Tomey with the Indians and Manny Ramirez and, and Kenny Lofton and all these guys, what made them pros what made them elite and so from an early age I had a different mindset about pursuing excellence than I think a lot of my peers I didn't do things for fun I did things to win and I did things to get better and it led down a path of I wanted to play college athletics I actually I wanted to play pro athletics but I knew the first step to that was to be in college and so um, a lot of my journey from that point on was how can I get better each and every day? How can I get 1% more out of my time doing something? Um, and so it, it led to me when I started playing basketball, I wasn't needed as a scorer. So how could I be great on the basketball court? I became the best defender. Yeah. I rebounded well. I got these... I got these steals that my coach goes. I don't know how you got to that ball. Well, you're, you're, you were going back to that time. It, it, it's. Uh, I said the same thing to my son in in high school. I said, "Look, study the career of Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman probably averaged seven or eight points a game, maybe. And on the <laughs> surface, you would say that's not a Hall of Famer until you realize he's arguably the greatest rebounder in the history of basketball. Oh yeah." at six foot eight and about 210 or 215 pounds, his positioning was unlike anybody else. You know, I don't know that that we'll ever see a guy that size be that kind of Charles Barkley, the same thing, six, four, maybe six, five, but just tremendous at knowing where the ball was going to be and things like that. And, and some of those things you can't teach, Charles, but but some of those things are are obviously learned skills. 
when you started to study those great athletes, you mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. as a Reds fan. I mean, you know, I I, I argue had he had been as healthy as he was in Seattle as as he as he wasn't in Cincinnati, he would have hit 800 home runs. I mean, oh, he yeah. would have been, you know, it, the Reds might have won a World Series or two, but. It wasn't to be because injuries, as they do with, with most great athletes, will catch up with you. When you started studying those guys, what was one common denominator that they had that you could look at a Dennis Rodman or you could look at a a Michael Jordan or a Ken Griffey Jr. Um or, or you know, even even guys in the in the early nineties with the Browns before mm-hmm. they before they left and went to Baltimore and had the reiteration of the Browns. What was the Jim Tomey you mentioned, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel, great Indians players, Kenny Lofton, great Indians players of the nineties. What was the one common denominator that you found when you studied these guys? They outworked everyone around them. There was never a time that they shied away from the work. And not just today we see kids who put their little highlight reels on Instagram and YouTube and they want to do the flashy work. What I'm talking about is the little work, the details, the fundamental work that made them special. Like if you, for example, Allen Iverson is a, is a fun one to talk about because he yeah. was flashy. He was exciting to watch, but he did the same fundamental little dribbling drills all the time that allowed him to do the flashy thing. If you watched him in college versus in the pros, you'd be like, that can't be the same guy. He earned the right to do the fun thing. Yeah. You don't just go and start doing the big flashy fun thing. You earn the right to through the hard work and the little things. Well, and Iverson probably could have been... If we think about it, Iverson was was uh, was arguably a little more talented as a high school quarterback, yeah, than he was as a basketball player. But you're right, and and it's the same thing with with guys that where they say um, we were we were we were studying we were talking about Dave Winfield, mm-hmm. former he was an indie he finished his career with the Indians. Yeah. Yeah, Dave was uh, a hell of an athlete. Yeah, you you know <laughs> this was a guy that was drafted not only by the San Diego Padres in the early 70s, but he played college basketball at the University of Minnesota. So he was drafted by both the NBA and the ABA. And the Vikings in the 17th round decided, hey, man, if he doesn't want to play baseball or basketball, we'll we'll make him a tight end in football. Right. You know, kind of like, you know, for the prototype Antonio Gates, who played at Kent State and then went on to play tight end in the NFL and didn't play a down of football in college. But right. You're exactly right. It, it amazes me how, and you, and you mentioned it in the first podcast, the, the playing the sport in season yeah, and, and developing those other skills and things like that. You know, Ken Griffey Jr., heck of a basketball player. Kenny Lofton played point guard at the University of Arizona. Jim Tomey played, I think, played multiple sports in high school. Um, George, Michael Jordan obviously tried to play minor league baseball, you know, and, and so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You mentioned the common denominator of greatness is work. What, what other thing did you see in those guys besides the work? Because if you don't have a modicum of talent, 
right? The, the ceiling's going to be here. Obviously, their talent was, was you know, the, the work, you know, the talent was there. The work took them to this level. Was there something else that you saw in there that, that took them to that next level besides the work ethic? Um, to, to, combi to combine with the work ethic yeah. was, the dis was the discipline. But I want to touch on something real quick because yeah, I, think, I think a lot of times you mentioned, like, we have a talent level, right? This is the maximum we can ever become. But do you know how many people actually meet that level? Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. Prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple ways you could do that is, one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise. But if that doesn't work, I've got another way for you. It's my friend Joe Hart's program called Products for Profit. Joe's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourage podcast and told his story about how learning retail arbitrage changed his life, and he's been helping thousands of people change theirs. Now, retail arbitrage is simply this. It's taking a product and buying it and then reselling it online for a higher price, and you keep the profits. And guess what? Amazon and Walmart use third-party resellers every day to fulfill their customer orders. I want you to go to productsforprofit.com or productsforprofit.carrd.co. Get connected to Joe's team. Tell them you heard about it on the Intentional Encourager podcast and start making money today with Products for Profit. And now let's get back to more great conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Nobody, nobody actually reaches their full potential. So I, I don't like the idea that, well, that guy's born more athletic than me. Yes, he may have more gifts than me. I, I'm not 6'4". I'm not 225. But my work ethic can make my talent level come closer to my peak than the guy who's told he's great all the time and just relies on the fact that he's bigger and faster and stronger. And I can gain the skills to surpass him now i may not be able to physically outman him in like let's say football but if we're pursuing something similar just because you have a head start doesn't mean you're going to win the race and charles we've glory i love what you said there we've glorified bigger faster stronger right because yeah. you know we're looking for the measurables we so i watched a guy in college that you might have heard of a guy named randy moss Yep. I watched him play two years at Marshall University. When when you say the freak, mm -hmm. it was a man among toddlers. I mean, he was just that much more physically gifted. But God gave him six foot four. God gave him four four speed. But what he what he did when he got to the Vikings was he learned how to be a professional. Because he got a guy named Chris Carter former Ohio State Buckeye, who said, I want, you know why I'm great? Because everything they throw to me, I catch. I can make every catch you want to make. You want me to go over the middle? I'll go over the middle. You want me to go deep? I can go deep. I may not run as fast as you do, but I can make every catch. And Moss said later in, in, in other interviews, he's like, man, Chris Carter taught me how to be a pro. Chris Carter was the guy. Jake Reed taught me how to be a pro. Because I had all the physical gifts, but man, I learned how to be a professional from those guys. They taught me you got to, you know, 
they're, I mean, jugs machines just pumping balls at them, just pumping balls at them. And, and Moss ended up hands, catching yeah. everything. I yeah. mean, you could throw it anywhere and Moss would catch it. And that's why people say next to Jerry Rice, he's the, the second greatest receiver of all time. If you would have right. told me that at Marshall, I would have said, yeah, he's going to be a great pro. I didn't. I don't. I don't think I. I fully grasp the concept of I'm watching a Hall of Famer. Right. I'm watching a guy that's going to be a Hall of Famer in college. Let's step back for a minute. You talked about wanting to be a college athlete. Was it baseball? Was it football? Was it bat? Where Where did you find? Where did you want to to see yourself? What sport was kind of jumping to the forefront for you? So, at, at the time, I didn't care. I just wanted to play professional. And again, I was a seasonal player. I played what was what sport was in season. It was interesting, though, because when I got to high school, I almost quit baseball, which is what I ended up playing in college because my high school coach wouldn't let me play AAU basketball during the season. He said, no, this is baseball season. You can play AAU after the season's over. And I got mad. And I went home and I was like, I'm going to quit. I don't want to play baseball. I want to play basketball. I'm going to obviously at five foot 11. I'm going to play in the NBA because there's a lot of those guys, right? You know, <laughs> so, yeah. so I had a, I had a clear sense of what I was. Um, but thankfully I got some good advice. I got a chance to talk to some people who made me realize that my dream was to play in college. It wasn't to play basketball in college. It was a play in college. And so by closing that baseball door, I would have missed out on opportunities to improve myself and, each season I spend doing a different sport gives me lessons I can use in the other. And what's funny is I ended up quitting, actually ended up quitting basketball going into my junior year and focused entirely on baseball and then ended up getting an opportunity to play baseball in college. But it's an, it's an interesting thing that we sometimes get blinded by some passions in our, in our life. And, you know, I was passionate about basketball. It was fun, but I lost the reality of what and who I was. I could have been a, I probably could have been a D3 ba basketball player. I had a decent little jump shot. I could jump for how tall I was. So I was 5'11". I could dunk, you know, so I could, I could, I, I could play above the rim, which is a, is a huge advantage for a basketball player. Um, but my, my true gifts were in baseball and I was blinded by the fun aspect of this. And I lost the joy that I had for baseball because I wanted to go have fun. And so that was an interesting journey for me to figure that one out you know it's funny because in baseball you can be five six five seven five eight five eleven you can be great in baseball and nobody cares how tall you are right can you hit the ball out of the ballpark or can you throw 100 miles an hour right you know if you're a pitcher or you know can you play can you play you know i think of and I am showing my age here, but I think of a guy that I watched growing up, a guy named Joe Morgan, arguably the greatest second baseman of all time. He was five foot eight inches tall, but his bat speed was incredible. Like he was hitting balls as far as guys six, seven inches taller than he, than he was. And it was just a bat speed that he could generate. You know, I think of a guy, you mentioned 5'11". I think of a guy like Billy Wagner, the former Astros mm -hmm. closer. Got through 100 miles an hour, and he was 5'10". Right. Just, I mean, you know, he gets out there on the mound, and he's throwing as hard as Randy Johnson, who is a foot taller than he is. Randy Johnson's 6'10". And, and Billy Wagner's rushing it up there as, as fast as Randy Johnson was. When you think about that, you say you really dialed into baseball. 
and made that your sport. And you talk about the the lesson that the coach taught you. Said, "Hey, look, you know, you got to decide one thing." When you decided to pour those energies, and you said, "Hey, baseball is looks like it's going to be the thing for me." What lit? What got you to that next level? Because we talked about that earlier, right? It was it's this level. You know, I can play college bait. You know, I I can get a scholarship, and there's a vast difference in getting a scholarship and playing college baseball or college athletics. What was that? What was that over the top factor for you in actually getting the scholarship, but then actually playing in college baseball? I, I rededicated myself to the work. I mean, it's going to come back to that. Is when I decided that my future was in baseball, everything I did was aimed around: Does this help me achieve that goal of playing college baseball? So when my friends wanted to go out on the weekends, I go, "That doesn't get me closer to my goal. I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in tonight." Oh, you want to go to the weight room? That's gonna get me closer to my goal. I'm in. Let's go. A few rounds of extra BP. Yeah, that's gonna get me closer to my goal. I'm gonna spend a few hours extra on the field. I put in more work in the last two years in, of high school, my first year of college, than I would argue anybody in the country. Because in my mind, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give everything I've got because I'm pretty athletic. I'm pretty good at what I do. But I don't want to show up one day and face a guy who I know outworked me. If I yeah. lose to somebody, fine. But I will never be outworked was my mindset, was my mentality. Well, here's the thing, and I love what you're saying there, and it's taken me back to when I was a kid. You know, obviously, I didn't play college baseball and things like that. But we used to live across the street from high school that that had the, the, the had like a probably a 40-foot or, or bigger tall brick wall on the side of the gym. And I would go across the street with a tennis ball or a rubber ball in my glove and I would just throw balls against the wall and I'd throw them as high as I could and they would bounce. And I think to myself, you know what? 30 minutes of doing that, man, you start adding those up and it's like, man, even those wall ball sessions, even, even 30 minutes of a wall ball session can make a little bit of a difference. You talked about the 1% better. And I think people think, well, oh, man, I got to spend five hours taking BP. If you hit 100 balls in 15 minutes or 20 minutes, man, it's quality over quantity is what I'm trying to say is sometimes the quality of 30 minutes can be better than the quantity of five hours right. in, in doing what you're doing. But you had to rededicate yourself. Do you think sometimes you say to yourself, man, I probably could have given in a little more. I could have, I could have gone out maybe and, and hung out with my buddies or were you satisfied that those decisions you made as a, cause those are really adult decisions, right? I mean, the natural tendency is I want to go out with my buddies, but man, you made adult decisions early. Did that decision-making process help you when you became an adult looking back on how quickly you were able to make those quote unquote adult decisions? Um, you know, an interesting thing actually is for three years, I, from junior, senior year of high school, freshman year of college, I made really good adult decisions. After my first year of college baseball, I decided that, you know what, I've worked really hard these last three years. I'm going to have a little fun and enjoy college life. And I stopped putting in the same level of work. And I had to learn the lesson later that 
you can't cut those corners. The success doesn't last. You know, I, I came off of an All-American year as a freshman at Youngstown State and turned it into an average second season and then a slightly lesser average junior season. And then by the time I realized that I was cutting too many corners, I put the work back in my senior year, but it, it didn't it didn't pan out the way I had envisioned it being because I did stop doing the work. I lost that focus because the truth is, is that putting in that daily work is hard and it's really easy to get distracted or find some reason why you shouldn't, you know, and, and that's the challenge that the, the greats overcome. They don't listen to that little voice that says, oh man, I'm tired today. I'm just going to snooze. They don't listen to that voice that says, ah, I did enough yesterday. I'm going to skip today. They, they do the work every single day without fail, without excuses, without cutting corners. And that's why they are who they are. Now, that's also why I believe we can all do that and we can all become those types of people. Yeah. But you have to own when you mess up. You have to own when you cut corners. You have to own an accountability piece that we talked about. That is important because as a human, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall short at times. You're not going to give your best effort on every single rep. It's just not possible, but you can get as close as possible. And when you don't do your best, own it and say, okay, that's a one-off. That's, that's not my standard. That's not what I do. Next time I'm going to do better. Yeah, Next time I'm going to do more. It's hard. Listen, it's hard in a college baseball season. You've got 40 to 50 games, maybe 60 games. And if you're starting, you're getting four at-bats a game. Maybe you guys have bust to Kent State. Maybe you guys have bust somewhere else. Things like that. Youngstown's not an easy place to get to. And you, and you, it's <laughs> right. not an easy place to go places to. So you're busting in there the day of the game. And you got to get your four at-bats. And, and you're right. Your concentration's not always there. But in a college season, it's, it's, it's almost – I would have to think, Charles, and forgive me if I'm wrong – I'd almost have to think it's a little bit like playing professional baseball to some degree because the coaching staff is recruiting guys to come in, right? And they're recruiting. I had a conversation with a guy that that was telling me, he's like, yeah, I, I wanted to play baseball at St. John's and went to St. John's and coach recruited a guy over top of me. He's like, so I left. Like, man, I'm easy. And, and the coach was like, we're bringing in all American and he's going to play and you're going to have to, you're going to have to be behind this guy. And I'm like, man, you know, that that's rough, but it's reality. Yeah. Did that kind of mindset ever enter your mind? Like I've got to stay on top of my game or I'm going to get replaced. Because in some companies, that's the mindset, right? I've got to always be performing, always be producing where I'm not. Or did you, because you mentioned after your freshman year, like, man, I'm going to enjoy life a little bit. I've been working hard the last three years. Kind of took your foot off the gas. When did that kind of put your foot back on the gas? What was that moment like where you're like, man, I got to put my foot back on the gas? 
So I was actually pretty lucky. So like me taking my foot off the gas was probably equal to what most people were doing work-wise. So it wasn't that I wasn't putting in work or wasn't showing up. I still worked hard in the weight room. I still did all the work I needed to. I just didn't do the extra work, the little things that made me that 1% better that we've talked about a few times. So I didn't fear losing my job. I didn't fear losing my spot because I still worked hard enough to keep that. I just didn't work hard enough to have the success that I wanted. And so when it came down to it, when I got to my senior year and, you know, I had these expectations that I would be in the, in the line to get drafted, especially after the way my freshman year went. And I was, you know, I was highlighted as a preseason watch list type of guy. And, you know, at the end of my, and going into my senior year, I was with the guys to watch, you know, for the next level, me and a few of my buddies were on that list. I, I was like, you know what? I, I haven't done all that I can do yet. I know I can do more and I, and I can show what I'm capable of. I got one more chance. And so I got back to doing the extra BP, the extra ground balls, the extra, the extra fielding practice, all that stuff mattered more. I did more reps. I did the, the little things and um, you know, it was just refocusing the time that I had in my day to serve what I wanted to achieve. I, I didn't need to be a social butterfly. I didn't care the popularity thing, especially in college. What is popular? Um, it, it became a realization to me that I didn't want that. I didn't need yeah. that. The party scene for me, just, it didn't matter anymore. And I could, I also became more of an adult, which helped, you know, I, I understood like you have to own these things. If you want to, if you want to earn these things, you got to own these things. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, Kentucky Derby, the Super Bowl, even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team, but you just didn't know how to do it. Brad's your guy. And oh, by the way, Brad's a certified bucket list coach, so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well. I want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907. And by the way, tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. What was that moment like um, when, when, when that time comes around, that, come, that time comes around, the, the Major League Baseball draft comes around? Take me through those moments. Did you get drafted? Did you, did you do what you wanted to do? And, and if not, what was that time for you to say, okay, now I've got to shift my thinking to where I've got to do, I've got to get a quote unquote real job now. What, take me, walk me through that, that period of time in your life. So the end of my college career did not go as I had hoped. Um, me and my coach didn't see eye to eye my senior year. I ended up getting benched for about 20 games after I had started 170 plus college games. We got into an argument and I found myself on the bench and it was a tough moment for me. Um, both 
emotionally and then also just watching my team go play without me. That was tough. So at the end of my baseball career, I went from having the prospect of wanting to play professionally to I didn't even want to be around baseball. So for me, that transition was different than it probably would have been had that situation not occurred. But I ended up going back to school to finish graduating, which I think also helped me kind of slow that transition process. But for a while there, I was lost because I didn't have that same purpose. I didn't have that same drive. I ended up reading a book called Mind Gym, which was about mental approach and, and mental toughness and some of the different things that we can do to be more present when we work and do things. And, and I, that woke me up. It got me back on track. I actually got myself in the best shape I've ever been. I thought about going to a tryout or two, but I, at that point I was, I was realistic with my, my age that I wasn't somebody that the pros would be looking for. So yeah. I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily want to get picked up at this point and then ride the bus for eight months out of the year between Podunk town and Podunk town getting paid peanuts. So it's time for me to find my next passion. And so thankfully that work ethic that I had from sports led me into the field of fitness and it opened some doors for me and got me into that position. Do you ever wonder what things might've been like had that argument with your coach not happened? Do you ever kind of look back and say, yeah, maybe I'd have gotten drafted. Maybe I would have played a few years of minor league baseball because I, I, I see, I, I sense as you were saying that it's like, okay, I look back on what did happen and say, Hey, you know what? You know, I would have been making peanuts in the minor leagues and, and yeah. things like that. And I commend you for, for having the, the intestinal fortitude to go on with your life because a lot of guys hang on too long still chasing the dream or they they sacrifice way too much and they're like you know what i chased something that was never going to be there in hindsight it was never going to be there do you find yourself looking back and saying hey man if that hadn't have happened my life would have been different or does it satisfy you that it's turned out the way that it's meant that it is meant to turn out for you so there's a couple things with that first is um I do believe that we can learn through regret. There's a really cool book I read recently, The Power of Regret. Um, and it really spoke to me because I do have some regrets. I regret that I lost focus after my freshman year. I regret that I, I talked back to my coach and it cost me some games. I regret that I didn't pursue a tryout to see what might have happened. But I don't, I don't wish that it would have been different because I am very happy with where I'm at. I have a, a beautiful family. I have a lovely wife. I have a great job. I own a gym. I get to do conversations like this because I've been putting in work in different avenues and I get to use my experiences to maybe help somebody else not make the same mistake. So I think we all need to take time and, and appreciate the fact that regrets are okay. It's okay to not have done it right, but did you learn from it? What did you grow how did you grow out of that? And, and for me, that's the biggest thing that I look at it. And I, I, I guess I look back and I go, man, it really would have been cool to see what would have happened because I believe in myself as an athlete. I believe that even today at almost 40 years old, if you give me enough time, I could go play pro. Yeah. Like that, that's my mindset. That's how I approach it. Like if you let me go through spring training, you let me get myself back into baseball shape. 
I'll go compete for you. I, I'll bat 200. I'll give you that. I'll find a way to get on base, you know. But again, it's a different. That's just the the mentality I have. And so, I think that if we all have that confidence in ourselves, it's a lot easier to look at the failures and the mistakes and the shortcomings, and own them for what they are, and learn from them and go forward. Well, in a lot of ways, I would think Charles, you would be better now at forty knowing what you know in the perspective of time to say, hey, you know what, um, man, 20-year-old 20, 20 me didn't know what 40-year-old me knows yeah. about the game and about life and about all this other stuff. And, you know, and, and that's the thing, too, is, is like, you know, coaching my son in high school baseball, I think to myself, okay, you know, what if I had gotten the opportunity to coach me? What if I had been my dad? you know, sitting there catching me when I was in high school and things like that. And you're like, yeah, I, I, I know I would have done a lot of things different. So I, I want to kind of put a bow on this conversation, man. I love where you took us in, in, in the, your, your story. It's, 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 it's fascinating. It's interesting. It reminds me a lot of our buddy Marsh Bice who played college football. And, and we talked about his, his last college game was, a loss to, to my Marshall thundering herd. He still thinks about it to this day, but as you work with kids today, as you work with young athletes and things like that, let, let's tailor this piece of intentional encouragement to parents. Okay. Because I think every parent wishes, Hey, I want my kid to be the next Bo Jackson, or I want my next, my kid, you know, and I'm dating myself, but all the great pro Kevin Durant, LeBron James, things like that. What piece of intentional encouragement as you work with young athletes would you give to parents around helping their kids succeed? So I got two pieces of advice. The first one is make sure that when your kid tells you that they want to do something that you know is going to be hard, that you understand and you let them know, look, you can do anything if you are willing to do the work because the greats do work. Don't, don't sell them on, oh, yeah, you can do that, and that's it. Give them that encouragement that says, yeah, no, let's go do that. I'm here for anything you need to do to help you get better. You tell me what you want to do, and I'll help you get better. But we're going to work to get there. We're not, gonna, we're not just going to get there. You don't just get given the top spot. You earn those top spots. And the big piece that I really think most parents – in my experience need to hear is don't be their coach unless you are actually their coach. Don't get in the car and talk about the things they did wrong in the game. The only thing you need to tell your kid is I love watching you play and I'm proud of how hard you work. If you do those two things, one, your kid will want to continue to work hard. Your kid will want to continue to play the game. They don't want to get in the game and be interrogated. They know where they messed up. Yeah. I've never once talked to a kid who's had a bad game and they're like, I don't understand. What do you mean? I had a, I had a great game. No, you know, they know when they make an error. They know yeah. when they miss a shot. They know when they didn't play well. What they want to know is that you still love them anyway, that you still appreciate that they played hard. And if you encourage that hard work and then you own it when the game's over and you say, Hey, it didn't go the way you wanted to say, but I saw how hard you yeah. worked. Yeah, that's what I told and, my kid. I said, yeah. I want you to be a great teammate. I don't care if you score 15, 20 points a game. 
it's it's more important to me that you're a great teammate. Right, right. Just have them. Just love them. Tell me you love them. Tell me you love watching them play because guess what? It's going to be over before you know it. <laughs> yeah, trust me. It will be <laughs> over before you know it. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So. Charles, again, remind folks where they can where they can find you. Uh, I know we mentioned it off the top, but again, I want to yep. give you the opportunity to let folks know where they can find you and your content. Yeah, the best way to find me is the edgeofgreatnessproject.com. I've got everything you could possibly want on there, podcast, blog. Uh, my my summit is coming up in September. My book is on there. I've got some apparel. I'm wearing one of the shirts now. Um, yeah, there's just a few things there, but that's the best spot to find me. Man, that's so good. Charles, I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story, sharing great insight with us. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Courage Podcast. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.